And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. We have the ability to see what can be, unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. (laughs) Kamala Harris is like someone who read a philosophy book like 10 years ago and then just sort of, she kind of remembers it. And then she's trying to regurgitate it. It's really embarrassing. BlazeTV.com slash stew is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. We have Michael Malice today. We're going to talk North Korea a little bit, uh, all sorts of stuff. But we're going to start by doing the secret of DeSantis. And to tell this story, we need to start with fiscal responsibility, not the kind of fiscal responsibility, the boring budgets and the government documents. No, no. Let me tell you about some ways to be fiscally irresponsible. For example, Mike Tyson, he once spent $2 million on a, get a gold bathtub for his then-wife, Robin Givens. Uh, later went bankrupt, shockingly. Um, Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, they closed on their Bel Air mansion in 2013. They furnished it with four gold-plated toilets. Lots of gold in the bathroom. But it's not all gold in the bathroom. No, no, Oprah Winfrey owns a marble and onyx bathtub that is molded to the shape of of her body is there what's the difference between the shape of oprah's body and bathtub shape is there a (laughs) i think that seems pretty similar tyrese gibson bought a private island (laughs) in 2015 for his eight-year-old daughter you know at one point given a private island for your kid would have been really really special and then jeffrey epstein came along and ruined the gift forever so it doesn't seem all that special anymore uh nicholas cage 2007, paid $276,000 for a Tyrannosaurus skull, which he didn't know had been stolen from Mongolia. Also, Nicolas Cage in 2007 bought the most haunted house in America, a mansion. 1997, Nicolas Cage spent $150,000 on a copy of the first Superman comic, which was then stolen and found in an abandoned storage unit 11 years later. And then also Nicolas Cage in 2006 took <laughs> a trip to Germany that inspired him to purchase a 500-year-old castle, which he planned to later on take apart piece by piece and mail it to himself to rebuild in America. That's how you spend some cash. Wouldn't it be helpful if maybe some of these celebrities early on in life thought to themselves, I should take a class about how to manage my money. And that stuff just never, ever happens. It just seems to be the one thing you don't learn about in high school. Lots of crap you learn about, but you don't learn how to, I don't know, live in the real world at all. Well, Ron DeSantis has decided to do something about this. And this is an important part about the journey of Ron DeSantis and why he's one of the front runners for the 2024 nomination. Let me give you this. It's called the Financial Literacy Bill, uh, and it has, uh, it's something he's been focusing on. Let me give you a, a quick description. Students entering high school in the 2023-24 academic year will be required to take a half-credit course in personal financial literacy and money management. 
This makes Florida the seventh state to make a standalone course in personal financial literacy to graduate. The students will learn about the types of bank accounts offered, how to balance a checkbook, money, debit and credit card management, uh, how to complete a loan application, receiving an inheritance, personal insurance basics, how to do your taxes, lessons on local tax assessments, interest rates, simple contracts, contesting an incorrect bill, state and federal laws, and ways to save and invest. In other words, the actual things you need to know to get through life. There's lots of crap you learn about in high school, but these are the things you actually need to know to live in the United States of America. So let me, now that, you might be like, wow, that's, that's the secret to DeSantis, some financial literacy bill. Well, let me give you uh, Ron DeSantis talking about this bill and let me give you his description. Today, I think is, is good because what the, what the bill's doing with financial literacy uh, is really providing a foundation for students that's going to be applicable in their lives regardless of what path they take. I mean, if they go the university route, uh, postgraduate, any of that, they're still going to need these skills. If they go right into the workforce, they're still going to need these skills. And so any different uh, endeavor that you do uh, to be able to be well-versed in financial literacy, that is going to help you. And I think that uh, what we're doing here today, uh, we're going to be signing SB uh, 1054, which was Senator Hudson's bill in the Senate and uh, Representative uh, Cabrera's bill in the House. Uh, it will require uh, all Florida high school students to meet a financial literacy one-half credit requirement in order to graduate. And so this is something that will start to apply in the 23 uh, 24 school year, so students now are going to continue uh, meeting the requirements that, that are in place at this time. Uh, but this will be uh, provide a foundation for students to learn about the basics of money management, uh, understanding debt, understanding how to balance a checkbook, understanding the fundamentals of investing. Wasn't that exciting? You might think to yourself, that's the secret of Ron DeSantis? I've seen a lot of clips of Ron DeSantis. None of them sounded like that. And there's a reason for that. We're going to get into that in a moment. But follow me here for a second, because I was amazed after seeing that description and reading the bill and the descriptions of the bill, why there was such a furious reaction to Ron DeSantis for passing it. The left went crazy over this thing. Why would they care? Why would they care at all? I mean, honestly, how is this controversial other than having the name DeSantis in the headline? This seems to me completely obvious to every single breathing person on earth that if you're going to go to high school before you leave high school, you should be taught these types of things. It's probably the most important thing other than what you'd learn in elementary school, basic math and basic spelling and things like that. To have financial literacy would be one of the most important things you could possibly learn going to high school. Now, sure, most kids do leave high school with some knowledge. They know they're one of 94 genders. They know that their skin color is the most important thing about them, but they don't know anything about how to run their life. Now back, you're gonna be shocked to hear this. Back when I, I was in high school, I took an accounting class. And you might think, wow, Stu, I'm shocked to hear that. You, first of all, seem 
uh, like you're not uh, nerdy and numbers focused at all. And secondly, you might think, wait, I thought you were really cool in high school. How could you be in an accounting class? And I know it's shocking. I, I remember going into this class, uh, which was uh, like an elective type of class. I selected to go to the accounting class. And I remember being one of, I think, three or four people in the entire grade that actually chose to take an accounting class. And we learned some of these things. We learned about debits and credits and spreadsheets and all the nerdery that you could possibly, possibly want. And it was informative. It meant that I had a little bit of basic financial knowledge when I left high school. It wasn't enough to run my entire life. No, you have to continue to learn about these things. But at least I had a basis of knowledge at that point. And I'm trying to do that with my kids. I've watched this all happen. I've seen some of the people that I've known for my life who have had financial trouble. They didn't know any of this crap when they got into their uh, real big boy uh, life. They didn't know about investing. They didn't understand how this stuff worked. They got themselves in debt early. They did all sorts of things. They put themselves through college and then came out with tons and tons of debt. One of the things I'm doing with my kids is I, we do monthly interest payments with my kids. And I know, again, you're, I'm raising some good ones here. They're going to be fantastic. We get together once a month, and they bring their wallets down, and we have their little bank accounts, and we calculate an interest payment for uh, for whatever they save. So if they spend a bunch of their money, like my son right now is really into sports cards. He's starting to, he keep comes back, oh, I, I got a new signed X or Y card. All right. But then the interest payment goes down. And they know if they don't save the money, their interest payment will go down. Maybe, you know, he seems to be only spending what he gets in his interest payment each month. And you might say, well, what about chores? Sure, that's important too. But understanding what to do with the money once you have it is also a really nice thing to teach them. So we go through this every, every month and I say to them, you know, they're nine and 10 years old to give you uh, some uh, perspective, but I say, hey, uh, I will work, I'll help you work through this. They have a little index card. They keep track of it every month and I'll help you work through this. Although I will give you a bump in the interest rate if you could do it yourself accurately. And they've learned to do it now. And this, they, th of course, like this, it's just free money, but that's real life. Two, when you have money and you save it, you get more free money. It's a good perk of having money. This is the way uh, to understand how to approach your financial future. If you go out and blow all your money, well, then no one's going to give you free money. That's not the way it works. Now, going through this, and that might be something for, for uh, cause at some point, these kids are going to bankrupt me. They keep saving the money. The problem is they're learning the lesson, and I keep, keep having to up the payments, and eventually, they might have a bunch of money in their wallet, but we're not going to have a home because I'm not making mortgage payments anymore. Anyway, learning these things early in life to have a financial foundation to make your life productive is obviously a good idea. So how could there possibly be controversy? Part of it is that the, the old school orange man is bad is now guy from the state where they grow oranges is bad. It's just gone from... Trump derangement to DeSantis derangement, and part of it is that, but it's not just that. Think of the normal way that we do things. What's our normal, everyday approach? What do we tell kids should happen? School, of course, you go to school. They teach you stuff like, you know, America's uh, bad, terrible, 
Uh, uh, they're always trying to take over countries and blow up innocent people. Hey, critical race theory, you know, your skin color is really, really important. All, it's all you should think about, actually, just your skin color. Unless, of course, you're thinking of one of the 516 genders you may or may not be. Capitalism, that's evil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get out of school and you go to college and those lessons are turned up to 11. And you pay for the privilege of going to a college where they will tell you your country sucks, your system sucks, everything about your life sucks, your parents were wrong, there is no God, all the terrible things you're going to learn in college. And then you get to leave there with dollars $100, $140,000 in debt, no idea how to balance a checkbook or invest or budget or anything worthwhile. And then you spend on credit cards and car payments and rent that you can't afford. And when something goes wrong, what do you do? You complain. You complain about why the government won't do more to help you. You're in need. Eventually, your parents' cash runs out. The interest payments stop, boys and girls. And then you're begging the government to help you. Instead of going into adulthood with an inherent understanding of saving and investing and preparing, you expect somebody else to do it for you because they've been doing it your whole life. You've never learned anything uh, uh, different. And then what do you know? When you need someone to step up and tell you that you're right, someone should be doing that for you. Here, let me help you. There's always a democratic politician offering to help. So what do you do? How does conservatism solve a problem like this? Well, if you dismantle this cycle, you dismantle progressivism. That is part of what DeSantis is trying to do here. Make kids understand how to be independent now so that they don't have to be dependent later. But that's the exact opposite of what the left wants, of course. They need you to be dependent. Because if you know how to run your, your entire life, well, what the hell do you need Democrats for? You don't need them. Look, the truth is that the secret of DeSantis and his rise to prominence is a well-balanced recipe of fight and substance. Many, if not most Republicans in the past, have featured precisely zero of these true attributes, of course, a few have managed one or the other. I mean, it's great to have someone with solid tax policy and an understanding of conservative principles. I like that. But if they don't have the backbone to stand up to the media, they just get rolled over. On the other hand, it's great to have someone who won't back down from the media. But to what end? Someone who fights with the media about base-pleasing culture war battles that don't get us anywhere and only seem to serve to raise money for the politician in question, well, that doesn't work either. DeSantis has found a sweet spot. He's been able to excite the base with his media jousting and, importantly, in addition to that, appeal to the nerds advancing long-term conservative policy goals. You know, 2024 is still a long way away. Joe Biden's going to be in there for a while and God only knows what happens after that. But 2024 is a long way away and fighting with the media it's important to understand, should only be attempted by experts because it can blow up at any time. And we don't know what the future holds for Ron DeSantis. But in big, splashy ways and small, strategic ways, Ron DeSantis is doing the job that most Republican candidates of the past just wouldn't do. Sometimes you have to do it in big leaps and sometimes in baby steps. And in this case, it's simple. All you have to do to understand that 
all of this is important, is just don't ever, ever, no matter what, spend money like Nicolas Cage. Well, now that we can get out and travel and take vacations, we want to celebrate some of our favorite times by turning our new memories into art. Get a professional hand-painted portrait uh, created from any photo that you have at a truly affordable price. Or you can combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. Now, I'm not saying you have to paint it because if you're like me, it would look absolutely terrible. My kids are 50 times the artists that I ever was. Uh, but you can choose from a team of world-class artists that actually do this for you. They can, you can work with them until every detail is perfect. Some people like to take multiple generations of photos and put them all into one painting. Uh, it's a really cool idea. They have a user-friendly platform that makes it easy to order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. It is really easy. Uh, and it makes the perfect birthday or anniversary or wedding gift something a little bit different. It's paintyourlife.com. Now, there's no risk here. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. It's guaranteed. And right now, they have a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. 20% off right now, free shipping. You can get this special offer by texting the word STEW to 64000. Text STEW to 64000. Terms apply. It's available at uh, paintyourlife.com. But to try it now, this is a cool gift and a totally different way to go. Something that's going to be totally unexpected for that person in your life, uh, or maybe just for your house. It's uh, Text the word STEW to 64000. It's STEW to 64000 for paintyourlife.com. All right, Michael Malice is here. Let's bring him on. He's the host of You're Welcome. He's a podcast, of course, host and author of The Anarchist Handbook, which you should definitely check out immediately. Michael, how's it going? Great pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stu. Thanks for coming back on, Michael. I appreciate it. Um, let me start with Hunter Biden. We had this situation where the New York Times comes out and just kind of paragraph 21 admits that, oh, yeah, that Hunter Biden laptop thing that we told you for months and months and months was fake is now real. The media does what they can to to tilt, uh, you know, the political uh, vision, I think, of everyone in the country. But this was a, a particularly egregious example of it. Well, I think the other thing that is important here is not that The New York Times is being dishonest, which I think for most people, that's par for the course. It's that people were being banned from social media discussing this issue when it broke. There were 50 intelligent ex intelligence experts that went out and says, this has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. They never said what those hallmarks were. And I find it ridiculous even at the time because not in addition to the emails and so on and so forth, there are many photographs of Hunter Biden. Are we to believe that these were photoshopped? Um, so there was a lot of things that were going on there. And Stu, you and I both know how the messaging is going to change that this is a far-right conspiracy theory and leave Joe Biden's family alone. This isn't about Joe Biden's family, although the question of uh, what kind of family has it where the son is hooking up with the dead brother's widow, th that's a question I think for another time. But we're talking about bribery. We're talking about influence peddling. Uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember, the Clinton impeachment started because they were investigating Chinese influence on the Clinton re-election and the Clinton campaign. So when you have someone who is, and by his own admission, a recovering crackhead, uh, being chairman or being uh, hired by a company in a country where I doubt he spent much time, and he's having emails mentioning the big guy getting a cut, I mean, this is pretty ham-fisted uh, and embarrassing, and, and it, there's a lot of questions to be had here, even leaving aside Hunter's 
personal proclivities. <laughs> Which there are plenty of. Uh, if, yes. if you go back, Michael, to 2016, uh, you have the Clinton-Trump election. And the narrative after that election was, from the left was we gave too much credence to this Hillary email thing. We focused on Hillary's scandals and her problems too much. And that allowed Donald Trump to win. And it does seem that in 2020, they made a concerted effort to make sure that did not happen again. They, they just threw aside any even appearance of journalism to make sure their person won this race. Is that how you see it or was it always this way? Well, I, I think it's I mean, you remember very vividly, I'm sure as well, as, as 2016, the election cycle was coming to a close. There was a great deal of chatter from Hillary personally and from media types about disinformation being spread through social media. we got to put a stop to this. People are spreading misinformation on Facebook, on Twitter, other such venues. So this is, I think, part and parcel of a broader problem, whereas there is a, a large amount of concern among our nation's elite where people are getting their information independently and not being pre-filtered through culturally approved sources. For a long time, I, I mean, I'm sure Glenn can attest this when he was at Fox, Fox News was a devil because simply because you had one network that didn't march the other party line. Now you have The Blaze and you have many other such venues that are providing counterpoints to organizations like The New York Times, which I would remind people has spent over you know, close to a century starting with defending Stalin and covering up his genocide in Ukraine in the early 1930s. So you would think that an organization with the blood of millions of people on its hands would have a little bit more modesty in terms of adjudicating truth and falsehood, but to expect some shame from corporate journalists is, I think, a bit uh, beyond the pale. Can you go into this a little bit? Because I don't think people, certainly the Holodomor does not get the attention that it should in our history. People don't really remember it. I remember doing specials of it when we were back at Fox and people hadn't even heard of it. I mean, it really is an amazing thing that is on the level of one of the, 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 the most egregious crimes ever committed against a population. Obviously, Ukraine is back in the news now. And, uh, you know, what the New York Times did among they weren't the only ones, but they were probably the most prominent to hide that from the American people to make the Soviet Union look better at that time is is an incredible part of history that gets blown over all the time. Well, someone should write a book about that, Stu, and I, I look forward to sharing that book with you guys. In fact, one of the, the reasons I'm writing a book where this is one of the chapters is because I was on the blaze with Glenn and I was getting frustrated with you guys that no one has written a book about conservatives' great victory, which was you know, the depravity of communism and the depravity of um, people in the West who were justifying it and covering it up. And then you had Reagan Thatcher come in and end the fight basically without a shot. And it was the liberation of half the world. Mm. So that was kind of my inspiration for my upcoming book. But yeah, as you say, uh, it's not only what they're putting forward. It's that there has been for decades a concerted effort to silence and suppress, belittle and mock views that don't agree with them. So it's not as if agencies like The New York Times or The Washington Post uh, or CNN or MSNBC put forth their views. Part of their work is also to diminish and to make illegitimate views that do not agree with their own, in effect, putting themselves in a position of cultural dominance and presenting themselves as the ultimate arbiters of truth. And we saw this very vividly recently, of course, with regard to COVID and the lockdowns. Whereas if I were, for example, a Democratic governor, and I would have thought that the masking and vaccines for kids and lockdowns was a bit too far, 
all my constituents will be told tomorrow that I'm interested in murdering old people uh, and that I should be driven from office. So I think conservatives underestimate the power of the media over the Democratic Party. It's, it's that's, in my opinion, the dog and the, the politicians are off the tail. And they also underestimate how depraved uh, and how little regard for human life uh, these organizations have. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the media and what's going on in Ukraine right now. You were born in Ukraine. Uh, yep. You've obviously uh, dealt with, you know, you've done, you wrote a book, you visited North Korea, You've written a book about, yeah. I mean, you've been involved in this world and, and know it very, very well. What, how is the media doing in covering this, uh, this uh, war right now? Are we getting the, the truth about what's going on there? I don't think we ever get the truth when it comes to war, uh, you know, even for, you know, decades now. Uh, part of the reason the Holocaust happened is because there was so much uh, anti-German propaganda during World War One that when people were reporting facts about uh, what the Nazis are doing, they thought, oh, we heard this all before. This is just propaganda until they actually went to places like Auschwitz. The journalists saw it with their own eyes and like, holy crap, we were wrong. So and again, a big part of war is to maintain information away from the public and the enemy because you're trying to fight and trying to you know, be sneaky, launch sneak attacks. I got to tell you, for two years, I've been planning to visit Lvov, the city, Lviv, they call it in Ukraine, uh, the city where I was born. I hadn't been there since I left when I was, you know, obviously an infant. Uh, and for two years, it was closed because of COVID. And now to learn that there were rockets hitting it uh, and the city's under fire, it's in the far west of Ukraine, practically uh, on the Polish border. Uh, on a personal level, it's just very disturbing. And I'm, I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard before, which is my thoughts are only with the Ukrainian people and with the Russian people. I, I want peace as quickly as possible. I don't understand what Putin thinks he's going to gain from this. Uh, and I also don't see how it's going to end in the other part, because if Putin just agrees to withdraw, is everyone in NATO and in America and in the EU just going to basically shrug their shoulders and be like, well, he gave it a shot. I guess we can move on. So I, I'm very concerned, as I'm sure you are and everyone listening to this is, about where this is going and what a de-escalation de would even look like. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine this unraveling in some positive way where we go back to normal. Uh, uh, it is uh, it's really difficult to imagine. I, um, let's talk about this from because I, I, I some conservatives, I think, have some doubts about, uh, you know, Ukraine is a country. And, and I, you know, look, every country has its, its share of corruption. There's been things that have gone on in that government before. There's no doubt about it. I pretty clearly see this as a war of aggression from Vladimir Putin here. And, you know, I understand that, you know, everybody around the world wants to stop it. We've taken extreme measures economically with sanctions to do this, you know, but I do see some of the Russian people as real victims here as well. They, they don't want this. I don't think this is something that, despite what the Russian popularity polls might say at the moment, I don't think this is something that uh, was desired by the average Russian person who now can't go to McDonald's or Starbucks or any of these other things. H how are we doing uh, as, as, uh, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, uh, a global sort of humanity? We've all come together to do this together. Are, are we doing the right things with the sanctions and, and how we're handling this? I don't see how the sanctions are very efficacious in terms of kind of mitigating Putin's uh, agenda. If anything, I think it's going to embolden him because now it's kind of like when you're playing poker and you bet the, the car and you bet all your money. Well, you might as well bet the house yeah. uh, because you're all in at that point and, and you're kind of, you know, you got to go through the muck in order to get out the other side. Um, I, I, you know, the, we were seeing attacks on these Russian oligarchs, which supposedly have enormous influence on him. Uh, there's rumors of behind the scenes people figuring out how do we take this guy, remove him from office. I don't want to sound like Lindsey Graham here. Uh, and I'm sure there is a lot of that to be had. At the same time, I think it's close to impossible 
uh, to believe that Putin, who was very high up in the KGB, who was clearly a conniver and a Machiavellian strategist, wouldn't have anticipated uh, sanctions, wouldn't have anticipated enormous blowback in terms of European country and the Western media. So until I better understand what, how he thought this was going to play out, I, I'm very con concerned and confused about what the next steps are going to be. And, and I only hope that uh, you know, the, the, it's true that many of these Russian troops are like, we, our hearts are not in this fight, we just want to go home. Mm. Um, can we move on to, uh, before we let you go, to the Leah Thomas situation here? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, I think, to watch all of this go on, where uh, you know, someone born a biological male goes on to uh, incredible heights as, uh, as, a, uh, as a female swimmer, wins the championship, um, and it, it feels like, this is sort of the revenge of the slippery slope argument. Forever, it was always demeaned as, oh, you're just bringing up a slippery slope. But if just a few years ago, we would have talked about this and said, well, if this continues, you're going to wind up having males go into female swimming and dominate the entire NCAA Division One. people would have mocked you as being crazy. Are we, are we just dislocated from the truth at this point? Yeah, I, I think that there's this big argument that was being put forward with a straight face that testosterone is not an enormous uh, benefit in terms of sports. And there's also the argument that, well, when uh, someone who's biologically male stops using testosterone, gets an estrogen, all those advantages for testosterone kind of wither away. And I will just ask people this, steroids are testosterone. It's, it's the hormone that bodybuilders take. So let's suppose you have someone who is a bodybuilder who takes steroids for eight years and then he stops. At what point can you say that that person hadn't had that advantage or that all the advantages he had kind of wither away and he's returns to a normal male? Until someone can answer that question with a straight face, which is a medical question, I don't even know if that's been studied uh, to any great extent, I don't think they're in a position to opine about this and to claim like overnight, uh, you, you flash in the pan and then all those years that you've been kind of taking a, a hormone, all the advantages and the muscle mass and, and all the other things are gonna fall away. So I think we're in, a, it's, but at the same time, it's kind of funny to watch transgender activists and feminists kind of fight with each other. You have to admit there's humor to be had there. <laughs> no, there's a lot of humor to, to be had there. Uh, last one for you here, Michael. On, on this issue and so many others, we seem to be empowering the mob, right? Like, it, it doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter, you know, even if you want to have a nuanced discussion over something that obviously, especially for Leah Thomas, is a difficult issue. I can't imagine what the struggle is like there. Uh, but, like, we're just empowering the mob to come in and roll over anybody who says anything. And I don't know, what's the response? What are you supposed to do if you want to speak your mind and you don't want to lose your access to your voice on social media or your job or your livelihood? Well, I think, you know, again, coming from someone who was born in Ukraine, you know, left the Soviet Union, a lot of it is picking your battles. Uh, I, I think especially when you're young, people are under the delusion that others are interested in having negotiations in good faith, that they won't be vindictive, that they won't smile and nod to your face and then report your HR or to your professor. So I would encourage very heavily, you know, people who have strong political opinions, be anonymous on Twitter. Uh, you don't need to have, get into every argument. The odds of you being able to persuade the person you're talking to your office are very low. And it would behoove you a lot better to figure out how you can pass among them. And this is what got Trump elected because all the polls, without exception, had Hillary way ahead, and then Trump came in because there were enough people who smiled and nod and lied to the pollsters and said, oh, I would never vote for him, he's a Nazi. And then they, they flipped the switch. So I think more and more people are understanding this is not an argument that's being had in good faith. 
So a lot of times it's better to just bite your tongue and use social media and other such venues to find like-minded people. So when you need your fix to have political discussion, you could do it in a place of safety, to use an ironic term. <laughs> Michael Malice, uh, host of You're Welcome, uh, the podcast and author of his excellent Anarchist Handbook. It's available now. Michael, thanks for coming back on the show, man. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Stu. Let's take a moment and check in on the presidency of Joe Biden, which seems to be going really well right now, even if you happen to be typically a Democratic voter. For example, Hispanic voters, there's a new uh, poll out uh, of Latino voters. What are their top concerns? They do not seem to be fleeing completely from the Democratic Party as of yet, but there is major movement towards the Republicans because you know, they're just simply not doing a good job on the Democratic side and not addressing the needs of the people who they're supposedly uh, trying to court the votes of. I mean, I, you know, Latino voters are like, well, I don't know what you're doing, but what you're doing doesn't reflect what we need. So they seem to be running away. Here's a here's a priorities part of this poll I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, you see here, COVID-19 back in December 2021 was the top concern of Latino voters uh, of the five issues, COVID-19, crime, climate change, inflation, and foreign conflicts. It's now last. So that's gone uh, from top to bottom. But you see the rising to being foreign conflicts, which were, of course, uh, you know, Joe Biden played a big role in and also inflation, which is now the by far biggest concern of Latinos. Also in the poll, uh, there was hints of some pretty interesting movement when it comes to uh, culture, uh, cultural issues. Some working class Latino voters feel alienated by progressive social issues that appeal to college educated voters and want to hear more about how candidates will actually help with the freaking economy. I added the freaking part, but that's exactly uh, what they were saying. And this is not a surprise, right? I mean, culturally, uh, both African-American and Latino voters are pretty conservative, uh, or at least moderate on, on these issues, and they don't like what the left has been pulling. They're not super woke. You know, that that's not who they are, at least uh, generally speaking, and this is starting to hurt uh, the Biden presidency. Of course, the Biden presidency is already severely injured because of, you know, his performance. He's terrible at this. Has anyone noticed? Has anyone noticed how bad Joe Biden is as a president? He is legitimately terrible. But let me give you a couple of of interesting new developments. And you tell me if these are going to help or hurt the Biden presidency. The U.S. is going to accept up to 100,000 Ukrainians fleeing the war, the Biden administration is saying. Now, of course, we've seen uh, other countries like Poland and countries in the area accepting millions. I mean, some of these countries are doing incredible things, accepting refugees. And I want to be clear here. Ukraine, I view as the victim of in this war. They're not a perfect country by any means. But the people of Ukraine are largely being bombed for no freaking reason. And the fact that other countries are willing to step up and accept refugees from this area is a good thing. However... As we said, with Afghanistan, it's a good thing. Our company um, has Glenn Beck, of course, as a big part of it. Glenn uh, worked very closely with a charity, Mercury One, and others that helped evacuate uh, refugees from Afghanistan. Now, none of those refugees came here, uh, but we're not against necessarily having people who are in need come here. The question is, how are you going to be able to screen them? 
at least with Afghanistan, we had a relationship where we were working with a lot of people on an everyday basis who were helping us go fight against the Taliban and Al Qaeda. And those people you can you grow a relationship with. We had our, our, our military members coming back and saying, I worked with this translator for 10 years. He is totally legit. I would lay down my life for this guy. Those are the people that I want here. Okay. Taking 100,000 people from Ukraine with no notice and not nearly the working relationship we had in the country is a much different proposition. And it has to be it has to set off alarm bells. Uh, It's not necessarily that we're worried about the average Ukrainian, um, uh, you know, being some, you know, bad influence here. But we have our own problems, of course. And also, you know, there's all sorts of issues with Russians being in Ukraine doing all sorts of bad things. Are we going to be able to sort through uh, these people uh, and make sure that that, uh, only the best come to the United States? I have zero confidence that Joe Biden is capable of overseeing such an operation. So this is something that I think people are going to worry about, uh, at least in the long term. North Korea has dialed up an uh, intercontinental ballistic missile, their first test since 2017 at the very beginning of the Trump presidency. And it's just impossible to ignore the obvious here that after Trump started talking uh, to Kim Jong-un and um, took a different approach to North Korea, they never did test a missile like this. They waited till Joe Biden was in for a year and now they're testing it. I mean, it's impossible uh, to uh, to miss the obvious there. And I will say uh, North Korea is noticing that the whole world's in strife. What are we going to do about it? We don't seem to be we didn't step up for Hong Kong. We didn't step up for Afghanistan. We didn't step up for our own people in Afghanistan or the people who are helping us. We're, you know, we are sending weapons into Ukraine, but that's about it. And uh, I think the rest of the world notices that we're not really involved anymore. Some of that can be good. A lot of it can be bad as well. And gas prices are still really high to the point now that California car owners could get up to $800 in gas uh, because of uh, a proposal from Gavin Newsom. Now, if which this is amazing, you know, the reason why California has high gas prices is not it's not um, uh, it's not Ukraine. It's not Russia. It's not even inflation. It's not even Joe Biden's policy. The reason why it's four dollars a gallon is Joe Biden's policy. The reason why it's six and seven dollars a gallon is because of the taxes in California. Californians are paying all these taxes. So now they rake the people over the coals for all this time on gas prices in California. And now they have to rebate them eight hundred dollars and There's also a crime problem in California. This comes from Ice-T. He tweeted, I was robbed at a gas station in New Jersey last night. This one's in New Jersey. After my hands stopped trembling, I managed to call the cops and they were quick to respond and calm me down. My money is gone. The police asked me if I knew who did it. I said, yes, it was pump number nine. (laughs) This is the state of affairs in Joe Biden's America. So if you're trying to buy or sell a home in times like these, you know it can be challenging. That's why you need a real estate agent who can come in and take charge. If you need your house painted, if you need someone to replace the stairs, if you need the, the roof repaired, your real estate agent can help you. And if, if you're thinking to yourself, that's not the real estate agent's job, that's my job, I can figure that out. 
I don't think you've had the right real estate agent because the right real estate agent knows exactly what repairs you need to do before you sell a home. And they know who the best people are to uh, to do them. You know, I had to sell a house um, from a distance uh, you know, a few years ago. And I couldn't be there at all. I was, you know, here running my mouth on, on, on radio and television. And I said, I don't know. I have no idea. Can you find somebody to do this? I'm, I'm totally lost. And the real estate agent stepped up, found the right person, did it for way less than the initial uh, cost was. And the house sold and it was all set. It was a great experience. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a place to go to find the best agent in your area. You can do this anywhere in the country. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Whether you're buying or selling a home, it's realestateagentsitrust.com. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Do it right this second. Do you see that subscribe button? Click it right now. We'd really appreciate it. By the way, what is the, what is the deal with the person in the graphic for this segment? It says, Stu does your reviews and comments, and then there's just this weird-looking person doing some really angry or weird face. I don't know what they've just seen. All right, here we go. If you're on YouTube, in the comments below, drop what you believe that person just saw. And we'll uh, come back with some of your ideas uh, because I think it's important. By the way, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Don't miss out. Uh, this one comes out five stars. Uh, I should give you zero freaking stars. Uh-oh. After spending two full days with the Katanji Brown Jackson song stuck in my head day and night, but I forgive you five freaking stars. All right. I, I do appreciate that. Uh, and I think I know what you're saying here, which is, of course, you want to hear the song again. Katanji Brown Jackson, she is for real. Never had a justice quite like her. She's a former public defender. Katanji Brown Jackson. <laughs> All right, no, 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 no. I can't. I love how she jams in public defender into the lyrics. It's fantastic. Uh, James Allen writes on YouTube. I love the show to the exclusion of all other shows. Uh, this one about Judge Jackson as well. Uh, notice Judge Jackson offered a biologist and not a psychologist or sociologist as someone who could define what a woman is, meaning she knows what a woman is, but is afraid to say it. Yes, that is completely true. And we talked about the crappy Disney movie remake of uh, Cheaper by the Dozen with Gabrielle Union. This comes in, Gabrielle Union is beautiful, and that's a privilege. So maybe she should quit and they can hire some older, fatter actresses. Good gravy. Well, if they need any older, fatter actors, I'm always here for you, Disney. Okay, so here's what happened. You just died. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I hate to hear it, uh, but you're dead. So sorry about that. But you're not only dead, you're also worried about what your death might do for the environment. I know that's going to be a huge concern considering you're no longer alive in the environment. But luckily, environmentalists have a solution for you. It's called terramation or body composting. Here's how it works. We would have a base of organics. The body would be placed here. The rest of the organics and flowers would be placed here. We would simply close the lid and we would be set. The microbes, when given heat and moisture, become super active. Our body comes up, in our case, to about 160, 165 degrees. It'll stay there for well over a week, 10 days. Um, the heat uh, obviously keeps the microbial activity super, super active. And at the end of a month, our body is pretty much transformed completely. That's pretty much insane completely. Uh, I will say, hey, 
I think you don't put flowers there. You put like cucumbers and tomatoes, and then you can eat your loved ones. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Finally, we have a, uh, the nutrients will give you that cannibalistic feeling you probably were searching for. Congratulations, uh, we've done a good job. They really will give you the soil so you can have dirt of your loved ones in your hands because that's what people want. We'll see you tomorrow.